you are clear to enter. Welcome to Pizza Planet. Welcome to Pizza Planet, a Pixar podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Garrett. And, and we're, we're your delivery, delivery guys. guys. Bringing you a square box of round, hot, cheesy Pixar goodness. Mm-hmm. We've got a bounty of slices in today's feast, so let's dig in. Greetings, Pizza Planet listeners. It's Gareth. So, we're kind of on a funky schedule this month. Ben and I were originally going to record a brand new episode for you guys together, but due to some scheduling conflicts, we're going to have to try something a little bit different this month. So, consider this an experiment. So, what I've prepared for you guys is kind of a essay of sorts. I'm also a little bit sick right now, so I do apologize if I sound under the weather. I tried my best to record clearly and concisely, but you'll have to let us know what you think of this new format. Uh, We won't be doing this all the time, obviously. We'll be back to our normal format next month, but we'd love to hear your feedback on what you think of these little essays of sorts. So if you like this kind of stuff, you'll have to let us know. But until next month when we come back and we'll both be recording together, please enjoy this lava letter to Onward. I remember it was like gasping. When you're swimming upward and things start to get hazy before you finally break the surface. Pixar had just come off one roller coaster of a decade. Ten years prior, Toy Story 3 had come out, optimizing my expectations for future sequels. But those expectations were quickly leveled when Cars 2 sobered me up to the reality that the days where I could go to a Pixar movie with zero concern about potential disappointment were gone. That decade was filled with highs and lows. The spike in sequel output raised concern about how much Pixar was relying on its fabled story formula and how much it was merely acting out of obligation to the mouse. Even some of Pixar's original films suffered from a distinct shift, lending to skepticism about each newly announced project. I couldn't place my finger on it. There was something missing, a spark. Had Pixar become predictable? Had they lost their ability to engage audiences the way they used to? Had they lost their originality? Why were they failing to generate the excitement in me that they once did? Was it because I grew up? Or was it something more? A new era of Pixar had begun, and not even Inside Out or Coco could fully erase my newly minted cynicism. But then, that fateful day in March of 2020, I remember going with my then-girlfriend, now-wife, to see the latest Pixar film, and I walked out of the movie somehow inexplicably knowing that this decade would be different. Not even the looming harbinger of a worldwide crisis could stop my newly reinvigorated faith in the studio that first ignited my passion for storytelling. The day was March 7th, 2020. The movie was Onward. Directed by Monsters University's Dan Scanlon, 
Onward told the story of two elf brothers who embark on a quest to magically resurrect their deceased father for one day. The story focuses heavily on themes of brotherhood and fatherhood, so I shouldn't have been too surprised when my wife didn't seem as big of a fan of what we'd just witnessed as I was. It's a very masculine film, and it's heavily influenced by Dungeons & Dragons culture, a personal interest of mine that my wife doesn't share. I'll grant that. But the movie did more than just appeal to my sensibilities as a dude and as a fantasy nerd. Beyond all of the surface-level appeal, Scanlan had dramatically and viscerally put himself into the movie. Early Pixar movies have a long-standing history of being very personal stories that are dressed as these whimsical and quirky original concepts. On the surface, Monsters, Inc. is a story about monsters that hide in your closet, but underneath... It's also a story about parenthood and adaptive change. It's a story that only a new parent with a demanding career like Pete Doctor could tell. On the surface, Ratatouille is a story about a rat that wins the favor of a harsh food critic, but underneath, it's a message about relentlessly pursuing your passion in spite of your unconventional upbringing. It's a story that only a dreamer born outside of Hollywood, like Brad Bird, could have told. Every movie unquestionably displays a piece of the filmmaker inside its characters. But the best Pixar films benefit from the vulnerability of the filmmakers. Dan Scanlon understood the assignment because Onward is a prolific example of this semi-autobiographical way of writing. Now, I don't want to get into this part too deeply because it's really not my story to tell, but if you read about Scanlon's life or listen to him talk about how he conceived Onward, you'd know that he lost his own father when he was quite young. And this story was a way to dramatize his own experience. Episode 5 of Inside Pixar on Disney Plus is a very emotional watch because it beautifully highlights how Scanlon's own older brother, Bill Scanlon inspired him to tell this story. I highly recommend checking that out to get a better idea of how intimate of a story Onward really is. Jumping ahead a bit, one of the reasons I retroactively give Onward so much credit is because it started a noticeable shift in the types of stories that Pixar began to tell in the years following, most notably Luca and Turning Red. They're two of my favorite Pixar films from recent years, and both are in step with the pattern that Onward initially tread. These are all films that are intimately intertwined with the heart of their respective directors. They tell very specific stories that draw direct and blatant inspiration from the director's own childhoods. Luca was directed by Enrico Casarosa, who drew from his upbringing in the Italian Riviera. Turning Red's Domi Shi drew from her Chinese heritage and growing up in Canada to tell the story of Mei Lin. These are stories that I like seeing from Pixar. Not everyone is going to be able to relate to each one. Not everyone has been a Chinese-Canadian tween or a fatherless teenager, but when the storyteller has, the characters feel more authentic and more vulnerable. 
And in my opinion, this allows for more heartfelt and raw explorations of the story's themes. In spite of what I said though, I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel like I had a personal connection to Onward. Like I said before, my wife wasn't as crazy about it as I was. Was it simply because I was a guy? Or was it because of the amusingly original take on modernized high fantasy? No, I don't think it was either of those things. It was 100% because of my relationship with my brother. I was born the youngest of three. My sister is the oldest, and then my big brother was just a few months shy of two years old when he was made a middle child. Having a two-year age gap meant that we were always close growing up, but still far enough away in age that I looked up to him as an authority figure. He was smarter than me and stronger than me. I leaned on him for a lot. And I won't lie, we had plenty of contention growing up. I was the one with the manipulative words, and he was the one with the short temper. But despite our constant bickering, my brother loved me and still wanted to take care of me. We were homeschooled, and I remember days where my brother would work ahead because he's so smart, and I'd be behind on my work, so he'd make my lunch for me so I could focus my time on school. I remember a day when a local river that we enjoyed swimming in flooded and my brother calmly pulling me out of the water after I started panicking at the stronger-than-usual current. My point is simply that my brother was a caretaker for me. We still had two wonderful parents, but even then, there's something about the role of a big brother that can leave a significant impact on a child. So how does this all tie back to my experience with Onward? Well, simply put, in many ways, my brother is the barley to my Ian. For those who haven't seen Onward, or who don't remember it well, the story focuses on the character of Ian, played by Tom Holland. He's a quiet and apprehensive kid. His brother, Barley, on the other hand, played by Chris Pratt, is a loud, energetic doer. When Ian receives a wizard staff for his birthday, along with instructions on how to use it to resurrect his late father for one day, a magical quest with a ticking clock ensues. The two brothers must now set out in search of a mystical phoenix gem. The story highlights the difference between the brothers and how they approach various situations. Ian thinks in a very straightforward manner while Barley tries to get his brother to embrace outside-the-box solutions. Watching these two characters try to work together is not only relatable, but it's inspiring. As a brother, I can seamlessly slip myself into the narrative and see Galen and I having the exact same arguments and the exact same heart-to-hearts. Interestingly, I think my personality is now more like Barley and Galen's is more like Ian's, but I still have memories of looking up to Galen the way that Ian looks up to Barley. Plus, Galen has a Dungeons & Dragons game piece collection that would put Barley's obsession with quests of yore to shame. The claw machine is jammed. Sorry, we gotta fix that. We'll be right back. 
Are you tired of the same old bland breakfast cereal? Well, look no further than Incredible O's, the official breakfast cereal of Mr. Incredible and Pals. This delicious morning treat is not only the best tasting cereal, but it's packed with vitamins that will help you grow strong like Mr. Incredible himself. Incredible O's, now including Frozone Ice Blast shaped marshmallows. Get a Mr. Skipper Do toy in every box. Look for it in the cereal aisle. And watch Mr. Incredible and Pals on Saturday mornings at 8. What was that? Getting pulled from the air? Superheroes illegal? Product recall? This will put us in the hole, no question! What are we gonna do with all these refined grains coated in synthetic sweetener? Oh no! Like, dude, have you ever hung 10 on the EAC before? Like, no, man. What's the EAC? Oh, intro. That's the East Australian current, dude. Oh, dude! Yeah, dude. Well, hey, like, now's your chance. It's like a vortex tube of awesomeness. You can do sick flips, shell grabs, and 360s. Plus, the views of the sea are totally righteous. Righteous! Sign up now to register for Crush's next tour and come ride the EAC. Side effects from the tour include possible headaches, nausea, and vomiting. If you sense that you might be hurling, please note, no hurling on Crush's shell. He recently waxed it. We got the claw machine figured out. Now we can get on with the show. Now, I definitely don't think that it's enough for a story to merely hold a mirror up to the audience and go, look, it's you in a story. A relatable story goes from good to great at the moment that it shows the lead character go through a profound personal change. Throughout the story, both brothers seem equally desperate to talk to their father, but we eventually learn that they are both anxious to see their dad for significantly different reasons. I'm about to get into deep spoilers, so here's your warning to pause and go watch Onward. Throughout the film, Ian is relatively transparent that his desire to meet his father stems from curiosity. As he's aging up into manhood, he is asking all kinds of questions about who his father is and what that means for him and his own identity as a man, or elf. Their dad died when Ian was too young to remember, but we eventually learn that Barley hasn't forgotten his last memory of their dad. In fact, we learn that Barley has been harboring regret his whole life because fear had prevented him from giving his father a proper goodbye. This discrepancy of expectations for what it means to be reunited with their father plants a seed in Ian that becomes the emotional crux of this film's climax. Now, I remember discussing the ending of Onward with a close family member after it came out on Disney+. And I remember her saying that she hated it. And no, I'm not talking about my wife. My family member's thoughts were something along the lines of, Why didn't Ian get to meet his dad? That's so lame. He did all of that for nothing. There's no payoff. In response, I think I said something to the effect of, If you're asking why Ian didn't get to meet his dad, then you just don't get the point of the movie. Again, those who forgot how it ends, Ian and Barley's quest eventually leads them back to their hometown where they started, thinking that Barley's trust in his knowledge of ancient questing paths was all just misguided mumbo-jumbo, Ian lashes out at his brother for taking him on a wild goose chase and wasting precious time. 
After their parting ways, Barley uncovers the Phoenix Gem that is supposed to aid them in their quest to resurrect their dad. But the MacGuffin is protected by ancient magic, which means that the third act finale includes an epic battle with a makeshift dragon. The detail that's important to highlight in this boss fight is Ian's resolve to stand between Barley and the dragon. In the end, Ian ultimately realizes that Barley has always been the positive male role model in his life that he needed. But Barley didn't grow up with that. Instead, Barley grew up with a painful memory of loss in place of a father figure. Barley clearly has more to lose by not seeing their dad than Ian does, and Ian bravely comes to terms with this fact. The moment that Ian goes back to fight the dragon, leaving Barley to greet their manifesting father, is nothing short of self-sacrificial. In the end, their dad is resurrected for only mere moments. Ian, trapped in a pit of debris, is unable to get to his father in time, but Barley gets to hug his father goodbye, releasing him from the regret that has haunted him since childhood. Ian never had a relationship with his father to lose, but Barley did. And moreover, Ian's relationship with Barley and their mom are sufficient for him. This is the part that I think disconnects for a lot of people, like my family member when she saw the film. This movie was never about raising the dead. That's an impossible feat for us mere mortals. How would that have been a relatable story for anyone? How could we have connected with these characters if Ian simply met his deceased father? How would that have changed him in a way that connected with those of us in the audience who have related to Ian thus far in the story? Not only would that have been the easy route for the filmmakers to go, but it would have been the less impactful route. The story wasn't even about the dad. It was about the relationship between the two brothers. Two brothers who still have each other and can do more for each other than a deceased parent can. This is why the filmmakers choice to exclude us, the audience, from Barley's reunion with their dad is so crucial. I'll admit, the first time I watched this, the ending was surprising. I didn't think that Ian wouldn't meet his dad. At the very least, I didn't think we wouldn't meet his dad. So, to a degree, I get my family member's disappointment with the reversal of the promised ending. I get the desire to see what actually happens when a father is resurrected and to hear his voice. But if we, the audience, get to experience that, it separates us from what Ian as a character needs to experience. The magic can never be real for Ian, or he ceases to be us. It's disappointing, but in a way that you know in your heart is right. I think these are the best types of endings because they force you to reconcile what is actually possible in your own life. You are forced to think about what has actually changed in the heart of the characters, which then leads you to do the same, and, in this case, find new appreciation for relationships in your own life. On the surface, this story is about a younger brother helping his older brother overcome trauma by reuniting him with their father to say goodbye. But underneath, maybe the real story, the one that can be our story, is about a younger brother who helps his older brother overcome trauma by being there for him and by reassuring him that their father would be proud of him. I just love this movie. 
There is so much to celebrate about it. From the incredible voice cast to the imaginative world in which it's set, but above all of that, I will always love Onward because the day I saw it, I could not stop thinking about how grateful I am to have the brother that I do. So Dan Scanlon, if you ever hear this, I want to thank you for making Onward so that I and so many other brothers can be reminded of how lucky we are to be loved by our brothers. I don't think any movie, aside from John Carney's Sing Street, has this effectively captured what the love between brothers is actually like. This is the Pixar I knew. This is the type of story that simultaneously engages my imagination and inspires my heart. It had been a long decade. But I think finally, my skepticism for Pixar's release slate was finally starting to dissipate. I hadn't grown out of Pixar films after all. Even back then, even before Luca, I could feel it. A new era was beginning. An era that honors the filmmakers and that puts good stories first. An era that celebrates real people and values their experiences. To end, I kind of want to highlight a bit of an off-topic observation. I think it's interesting that the elves in this film, a fictional race that is traditionally depicted with naturally pigmented skin, are all colored blue. I bring up this seemingly random design characteristic because I think there's a deliberate motive behind it. I could be wrong, but I suspect the filmmakers did that to embrace the idea that the representation in this film is not tied to a race, but simply the familial connection between brothers. This further bolsters the premise that this film is for all brothers. It's a love letter from Dan to Bill, and it's a love letter to be shared by any of us who were at any point a young boy who felt taken care of by our big brother. This has been a Pizza Planet original essay, written by Gareth Madison, recited by Gareth Madison. Now, go please subscribe to all of our channels and whatnot. Uh, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok now. Just go follow us everywhere at Pizza Planet Podcast. Again, this is Gareth. I'll be back again next month with Ben. We'll have another episode for you, and until then, keep it in O for Onward.